is Fifty Shades of Grey about the English summer. Answer me this, answer me this. Did the world really need a sequel to Dumb and Dumber? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Very exciting feedback to our last episode where we're talking about the fortunes of Grumpy Cat. Jess in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia says, I am someone who has a cat video on YouTube that has made money. Our cat Luna is the star of the video Luna Falls Into Bathtub when, (laughs) as a kitten, she investigated the partially filled bath for the first time with hilarious results. And I can confirm, I can verify that indeed the results are hilarious. I didn't find them hilarious. I found them quite distressing because the cat was obviously not enjoying it. There was a distressing undercurrent uh, in that the cat doesn't know when it falls into the bath that it's not going to drown to death. It looks like it thinks it will never be able to get out again (laughs) because of the sheer scrabbly sides. There is sheer panic on the cat's face. Mm. However, the dramatic irony of knowing that the cat's all right in the end, to me, rendered the video hilarious indeed. I still found it upsetting Mm. and I thought of the mental scars that Luna would have carried to this day. (laughs) Well, Jess says the video has 1.3 million hits, Mm. which as it was uploaded in 2009 is not particularly impressive. Well, how are our 2010 videos doing, Ollie? Uh, the most popular one has 15,000 views. Thanks for asking, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> but it has earned us about 2,000 US dollars from various TV shows using the video mm. and also from YouTube ad revenue. See, now that is the bit that is a bit freaky, isn't it? Because you know that obviously, uh, don't get me wrong, Jess, you're obviously a responsible cat owner. You didn't deliberately try and drown your cat to get a funny video Although out Although she was it. filming the cat about to do a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're filming the kitten because it's investigating the world for the first time. That's bog-standard uh, cat owner stuff to do. She wasn't... I don't she know was expecting crisis. <laughs> Why would you be filming the cat in the bathroom? Nonetheless, the, the, the issue is, does it incentivise people to put their cats in danger to raise revenue on YouTube? Yeah. There is always that unsettling feeling, isn't there? There may be somewhere, somewhere in the world it might. Anyway, $2,000 from a cat, that's, that's okay, well, also, as she points out. But. Well, as she says, given this, I think that Grumpy Cat earning $100 million is not that unbelievable, given her popularity, reach, and being the face of Friskies, etc. Well, that means that uh, Grumpy Cat would be 50,000 times more popular than your cat. Yeah, that seems plausible. If Grumpy Cat's got more than times. one video... Yeah, but 50,000 times more. It's like 50 billion hits, isn't it? Once you earn your first million as an internet cat, maybe the rest follows fairly quickly. Well, if you invest it wisely. Yeah. <laughs> if it's from times, though, that doesn't have to scale the same way, does it? That's true. I mean, how much does Grumpy Cat charge for an appearance? Could be so a million thing, a time. It? It's interesting how the cat world mirrors the Hollywood world in other ways. You know, because if you're <laughs> a young starlet, for example, and you want to get noticed, you have to pay for your own agent, your own PR people, yeah. and everything else. You may be making money, you're spending it all on your own stuff. It's and then thousands you get to a, certain a month, point. isn't it, to yeah. have the PR that gets you placed in yeah. magazines that, to make it look natural like you'd be there. But then once you become Grumpy Cat, once you become the cat everyone's talking about, Kerching. Yeah. Unless Grumpy Cat spends it all on drugs and stuff. Yeah, well, inevitably. While talking of cats and bathtubs, we've had this question from Gavin from Devon, who says, I have a cat that is generally clean, mm-hmm. but there are bits of him that are always a bit dirty that he can't reach properly, like his nose and the back of his neck. Yeah, you know, the back of the neck is the only place that a cat actually can't reach at all. Back of the head as well? No, they can just about get to the top of the head with a paw, you see. Ah. But the paw doesn't go up and round. It doesn't disconnect to oh, flex Lord. up to the back of the neck. What about if you gave them a little scrubbing brush? <laughs> um, so that's why you put the flea treatment there on the neck. Yes, because they can't lick it off. Yeah, is it the same with dogs? Yeah. Same with humans. Clean treatments, yeah. Can't lick it off your neck. Um, He says, Ollie, answer me this. Can I wash my cat? And if so, how do I go about doing it? I know I'll get torn to pieces if Mm. I try to give it a bath. Perhaps there are some kind of cat wipes I can use. There are. Cat wipes. Yeah, well, they're called pet wipes. Like wet wipes. Yeah, I think people tend to use it with pedigree cats that aren't so good at washing every element of themselves anyway because they've got long hair Uh, that are getting on a bit. 
So if you've got a pedigree cat that's like 15 and a bit senile, yeah. it's going to have a lump of shit hanging from its ass, and that's why you <laughs> oh, get the pet wipes. Uh, but if you've got a tabby like I have, I don't think you'd ever really have to use it. What I if mean, you just want her to be super shiny? Well, I don't know. If, if Gavin is obsessing about that, I mean, let the cat lick its own bloody neck. Do you know what I mean? The, the, there's nothing but it like, can't. It can't. Yeah, I know, but it, exactly. It, it can't. It's and inadequate. There's a, reason, <laughs> there's a reason it can't. Cats are obsessed with cleaning. You know, they're not... I use the word designed slightly ill-advisedly. I don't want to have a discussion about whether they're designed or whether they evolved. But the point is, they're not designed to be able to clean the back of their necks for a reason, which is they don't really need to, so chill out about it. It's fine. Would there be like a little cat wash that your cat could run through like a car wash that would be more fun than them getting into a horrible echoey cold bathtub? I doubt a cat would ever find the process fun, but you are correct to say that the bath is a particularly scary place for them. Dogs usually hate the bath too, and I think noise is a lot to do with it. Yeah, which is why Luna, in the previous... Uh, piece of correspondence we had is scrabbling to get out of the bath it's yeah. a scary thing for a cat they don't know what it is so people do say actually use a, use a basin if they'll fit into a basin yeah. or a sink that's better they can see over the edge that must be comforting hello it's jasmine from surrey um helen and Molly, answer me this would it be all right if i dyed my hair pink um whilst i'm looking for a job in digital and social media is it out there enough for me to have pink hair or is that a really bad move and I won't find a job if I do that. Is it too out there? I wonder it might not be out there enough. Really? Mm. Yes. Maybe she needs to dye a colour that is less popular, like um, racing green. You know, like <laughs> like um, an arga. thing is, pink itself, I mean, even pink the artist now has blonde hair, doesn't she? Because She uh, sees it as a bit passe. But she hasn't told us what the current state of her hair is. If, it, if it's already dyed platinum mm. and she was just going to put the pink on top of it, why not? Yeah, if you're someone that who regularly dyes your hair, though, actually, yeah. the bigger treat for everyone else in your life is just to let it go natural, isn't it? Because yeah. it's quite nice to see what it was. Whereas, whereas if I, with my boring coloured hair, if I were to go to a job interview and I thought suddenly, oh, I better bleach my hair and then dye it pink, then I suppose I'd be wearing an artificial character that they might pick up on. Yes. Okay. So th- that's the thing, isn't it? In Jasmine's question, which isn't just about the colour of her hair, she she mentions that she's going for job interviews in the field of digital and social media. Does she want to look a bit more exciting for them? I think, she, I think what she's saying is she wants to look kooky and cool, but not too kooky that people think she's weird. She's uh, just I, like a hashtag. Well, <laughs> mm, that's think, a bit 2011. I think her concerns are well placed. Really? Um, because no one likes to try hard. Well, as far as I can tell. Um, social media companies or actually companies that are looking for someone to do their social media for them Mm -hmm. tend to be companies that are staffed by older people who are web savvy enough to understand they have a need for that but not savvy enough to understand that but she hasn't said that is the kind of job she's going for no I know but she She might be going for a cool startup where the boss is 22 she might be but hear me out I'm just saying if she's you know sending her CV far and wide trying to get that job I'm just saying in a lot of those places they're looking for someone who is kind of young and cool and hip enough that they create the impression they understand it more than everyone else in the office however they're also looking for experience Mm. and if you are too young and cool and hip then you obviously don't have enough experience in doing the thing they're doing or you have too much experience of personal vanity and not enough of work well possibly you want track record don't you and and so i just wonder whether pink hair pushes it a little bit too far in look how cool i am i want to give pink hair and surgical stockings to balance (laughs) Here's, here's an opposite tack jasmine why don't you go and get the haircut and the outfit of Mark Zuckerberg? The most successful oh, social mediaist really of all. boring, isn't it? A bit creepy, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly his outfit. Well, worked for him. Uh, I remember once when I was in an internet chat room when I was about 16 and I was trying to impress other people who were also about 16. This is in the days before broadband internet or web cameras. Did you know they were 16? Could no. they have been 45? They probably were. 
um i was describing myself and i meant to put that i had uh, blue green eyes which is a slight extension of the truth my eyes are actually just blue but i thought blue green sounded more interesting mm. uh, and without realizing i actually wrote uh, green hair uh, and then like loads of people part in and like wow green hair you've got green hair and i was like oh fuck Caught in yeah. the light. <laughs> I've got green hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do it. I'm just, and I basically started to pretend to be a proper sort of Green Day style emo just because Aww. I thought, well, this is obviously making me more popular. Oh, sweet. It's that guy with the green hair. Have you ever tried dyeing your hair green and seen if it had the same effect in real life? Do you think my hair green would really work, Helen? You'd look like the Joker. You would look like Cress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's another question of careers. Uh, It is from Baxter from Washington, D.C., famously known, he says, as the birthplace of Helen's mother. Yeah, I think that is why D.C. is so famous. (laughs) That's why people like to stop off and have a look around, isn't it? I bet this is where Alison Zaltzman first appeared in the world. Mm. He says, when I told my dad... I intended to study philosophy at university, his response was to ask, are you preparing for a career as a graduate student? Is that a career now? Cool. I think he was being glib. I think he was being realistic. Well, that's the nature of the question, so let's see. Uh Helen, answer me this. When you told your parents what you intended to study, what was their reaction? And what is your advice for students who will be telling their parents they want to study a subject that doesn't have an obvious career path? Okay, well, in answer to the second part, I think you'd say, well, I want to study Old and Middle English was what I did study. <laughs> not, not a useful thing. Although now I'm doing The Allusionist, it's sort of useful. Yeah. But I think you say, well, I'm going to do That's that. That's not an obvious career path, I think I, it's fair to say. That's kind uh, of amazing that you are using yeah. your degree in your work. <laughs> it only took 12 years to become useful, but it did. Um, I think you, you just say, I'm going to do that, but also on the side, I'll be doing this and this to contribute to the career that I plan afterwards. Just make it look like you have a plan, mm. even if you're bullshitting. I think that's right. Um, but uh, for the first part... Just bear in mind that my dad is a sculptor and my mother is his enabler. And (laughs) therefore, it's not really up to them to tell me I'm wasting my life, is it? Mm. It's not the most careersy job. It's also not the nicest thing to say back to your parents if they were to say that to you. So even though you can have that in your arsenal, Helen, if your father had turned around and said... I'm not going to do the South African accent. Do a little. Uh, If he did did Hillin. 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 I don't want you... I don't, to waste. I don't He's not quite as Vortrekker as that. I don't want you to waste your time doing an old life. and middle English. Like, He's basically become Arnold Schwarzenegger in my impersonation. <laughs> Helen, I don't want you to waste your life <laughs> like think, I have done. I think what he would have said was, what are you going to do with that then? Okay, but, but my point is, had he said... <laughs> don't waste your life like I've wasted exactly mine. Exactly, as I've wasted mine. If he'd said that to you, it, if he'd have yeah. said, bear in mind, I want you to have a job where you can support yourself in the future, what would your response be? You couldn't have actually said, well, at least I wouldn't be wasting my life like you. I think I would have, though. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what their re- reaction was, but I think they probably knew. And also, I was on quite an academic track because of the kind of school that they had sent me to. And I think they would have been surprised had I gone for something vocational. So you're talking as if Helen went and studied, you know, like, drama of the Japanese no theatre. Like, she did an English degree at Oxford. Yeah. It's not exactly not yeah, mainstream yeah. or respectable. Yeah, but I specialised in things written before 1400, Martin. So when you say not mainstream and not specialised, there were poets I studied that none of the tutors had ever read. My parents, their position was kind of the Maureen Lippmann BT uh, approach of, you know, he's got an ology. I think the most mm. important mm. thing for them was that I went to university at all. So they didn't have any particular interest really in the subject that I was choosing to study or even where I was going to go and do it. It was more just that from their point of view, they'd spent loads of money on my education going to private schools mm. so that I went to university. I'm the only person still in my family to have ever gone to university. Really? And because mm. they hadn't been, 
that was their project for me was to go and that was the thing that they felt they'd missed out on and the only row we had about it was when i said when i was 18 I'm not really sure if I want to go to university. Maybe I'll become a dancer. Well, <laughs> no, what I thought was at that time I wanted to work in the film industry. Yeah. And I thought probably rightly that if I wanted to get into the film industry, it would probably be better for me to yeah. go and spend four years working in the film industry. So yes. that by the time I'm 21, I've got experience and contact. You'd be awesome Wells by the time you're 21. And they just flipped out at me. They were just like, well, if you want to go and work in the shop, family owned a butcher shop. I was like, I didn't say I want to go and work in the butcher shop. That's... I very specifically said I want to go mm. and work in the film industry. In, in their mind, because my dad spent till he was 35 working in the shop. For them, that was the like the life sentence I was mm. giving myself by not going to university. This mm. was the opportunity for me to broaden my horizons. When you're 18, like you're told essentially by your teachers and career advisors that you're planning your life out, mm. that the decision you make about what A levels you and what university mm. subject you study and where you go to university, it's all bullshit. It's going to dictate, yeah, it's going to dictate you your set for life or your or your ruin, ruin for life. And it's not it's not really true. Like, no, it's not true. As you go to university, gives you the skills to actually like have a bit of initiative and 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 a bit of space to play around and and fail. And but if teachers and careers advisors didn't at least say that, at least pretend that it had importance, then everyone would choose to go and study rock music, wouldn't they? That's the problem. <laughs> so they, they're just trying to say, look, think about it a bit. And that's the thing I think with parents saying, in your case, Baxter, look, you know, if you're going to go and do philosophy, realistically, you know, we're not saying there's anything wrong with going to study philosophy. Realistically, a possible career option for you is you're just going to spend forever chasing jobs in academia that don't really exist or do they they're as much as anything testing your conviction that you want to do it they're not necessarily it might sound like they're being negative about it but they're actually just i think as parent i would be like that too i'd be like are you really sure that's what you want to do all they're doing is preparing Mm. you for the long series of no's that you may face afterwards but also if you're going to an american university baxter then you can kind of move around subjects a bit whereas we had to choose definitely by 17 I had to choose, but really, when I chose my GCSEs at 14, yeah. my degree subject Roughly was... the subject genre you'd be moving into. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, therefore, <coughs> it makes more sense to actually do it when you're there. So, you know, you don't have to be dead set on it. But it's mm. good to have uh, limbered them up to that possibility already. And if you are at an American university, it probably helps to have a philosophical attitude towards your finances, certainly. Uh, because uh, by choosing to go to university, you are essentially uh, promising to be in debt forever. Oh, I remember when we went to university and it was essentially free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a generation that hates us. <laughs> I've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from Ed from London in New York who says, Ollie, answer me this. Who was the first English stroke British monarch? To visit the USA. Is I'm... he thinking of himself as a king or a queen <laughs> on a little see... journey to the USA? You want to see if he counts, yeah. I was really surprised by the answer to this because I would have thought what with, uh, you know, the Brits sort of establishing America that perhaps mm, at some point... Yeah, but we outsourced that. Yeah, I know. To the Portuguese. I get it. But I thought, you know, at some point maybe Queen Victoria or someone would have gone over there on some sort of visit. But no, uh, the first monarch to go to the USA... Uh, was George the Sixth? Wow, and, was, and the Queen Mum when she was the Queen, nineteen thirty nine. So George the wow. Sixth was the one who stepped in after the abdication, right? Yeah, King Speech guy, stuttery dude. 
The Queen's dad. The Queen's dad was the first one to go to America, which is surprising, isn't it? I mean, I know, don't get me wrong, I know that they declared independence from us, so there's going to be a bit of a tetchy issue there for so a while. Think there was bad blood for, you know... Hundreds of years. Uh, hundreds of years. But, yeah, but, but there really also, was. transatlantic travel was a real mission. Yeah. And it probably took more time than they could afford out of their day job. Do you think it was in 1939 because war had broken out and they thought it was probably a bit safer there? Yeah, Let's no. go on a long holiday. <laughs> I miss eggs. Let's go over there and get some. No, but it was, it was of course, related to the war. It was, exa- it was actually mm. FDR invited them over, seeing that we were about to become a country fighting against Hitler when everyone else was succumbing mm. uh, and realising that the US and the UK might have aligned interests. You thought, what will cheer you up is uh, a night out at the Rockets? Uh, it was some hot dogs, actually. Wow. They had a hot dog banquet on his cottage lawn. Really? Yeah. Just hot dogs. No, no, no. There were other things, but they were all very American type things. Turkey and cranberry sauce, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a scandal at the time because the papers were running op-ed pieces saying, this is no way to treat a royal. Because obviously the Americans always love the royals because they haven't got any. Were, were, were the royals eating hot dogs with their hands? They'd probably never touched food with their hands before. <laughs> there is, of course, no photo evidence of the queen with How? a sausage in her hand because they didn't it. do that sort of thing in 1939. I bet the queen mother would have been great at that, though. She, she would have been wearing uh, like pastel kid gloves with this like dripping hot dog in a hand like, she was probably wearing one of those hats in the shape of a hot dog with a mustard sauce on it and everything she was very game she was wearing a chip and dip as a hat <laughs> um, she but was she, styling the queen mum she loved it because she wrote a letter which we do have I mean when I say we I, don't, I mean the nation not me yeah. um, she wrote a letter to Queen Mary mm-hmm. saying oh the Americans have such an informal sense of style and in their country homes quite like the English oh. so yeah she bloody loved it spring break <laughs> um so yeah so, th- so they went over to uh, to see fdr and eleanor and that was the first in 1939 and that was the beginning essentially of what we now call the, the special relationship and right. i didn't realize that was that recent either i knew that obviously the second world war was really the thing that the presidents and the prime ministers are referring to when they talk about yes. our special relationship but i thought that had cemented a longer relationship actually no British monarch had gone there till 1939. It's yeah. a fairly recent thing. Yeah, because the first British person to set foot in the USA happened a few years after Columbus, but before the year 1500. Mm-hmm. And what, did you just look around and be like, oh, God, cold beer, whatever, back on the ship? They haven't put in Disney yet. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing as well, of course, is there were sensitivities around the fact that the king who'd just abdicated had done so because he was going to marry an American divorcee. Yes. So it, it, back home in Britain, it didn't necessarily play that well that they were going over to America because an American in the eyes of the British press had just nearly brought down the royal family. Mm. Um, so that that actually was quite a bold thing for uh, for George VI to do. But he was like, ah, oh, fuck it, what are they going to do? Make well, me abdicate, that, doubt it. I want a hot dog. <laughs> you know, and if I have to go all the way to America to get it, I will. Is that all they did? No, they did a bunch of other stuff as well. What Parades, else they do? Tea at the British Embassy, that kind of thing. Tea at the British Embassy? What? That's like being at home. That's I know, rubbish. I know. It's like when Clinton came here and went to McDonald's with Kevin Spacey. Do you remember that? But then there are national differences between the McDonald's's. So maybe if he was doing a, <laughs> maybe if he'd been doing a global comparative study of all the places he had to go. It was a weird thing. It was it was at the Labour Party conference. I mean, it was Blair, Spacey, and Clinton went for a burger at McDonald's. Where where was the Labour Party conference? Like Brighton or Blackpool, somewhere like that. Right, because Brighton, there are lots of different places to eat. Blackpool, not so many choices. Doesn't matter. It should have been fish and chips, shouldn't it? It's yeah. in the UK. I mean, obviously, the message it was sending was, "Hey, we're two left-leaning men of the people." But I mean, you know, that was clearly skewed towards Clinton, wasn't it? Going to the McDonald's. Didn't Mm. benefit Blair doing that. Well, I think we'd all benefit right now from a little intermission, which today is from Answer Me This, episode 134. And that is available, like all of our first 170 episodes, to buy at answermethisstore.com. 
Tim in New Cross says, Helen, answer me this. How did the fonts on Microsoft Word get their names? What a fascinating wow. subject. Tim raises. I'd love to meet Tim. Uh, Times New Roman, Ariel, Garamond. Is it just the whimsical fancy of Bill Gates? He's not really a whimsical man, is he? The man who invented Windows. <laughs> just a th- don't wish to be unfair. The man who said, I spot a trend here, let's ruthlessly commercialise it. That's not very whimsical. <laughs> Garamond is actually really, really old. The inventor, Claude Garamond, he was born in 1480. You're blowing my mind. It's like you're going to tell me that Louis XVI invented clip art. It's so, possible. So, so what about Times New Roman? Oh, that was invented in 1931 when a, a famous typographer called Stanley Morrison wrote to the Times newspaper saying, your font is ugly and your paper's a mess. And they said, all right, design us a better one. Really? And uh, their, their, their previous font was called Times Old Roman. Presumably it was based on, you know, Roman fonts. Yeah. And so they got Times New Roman. I went out with a, a font once. Go on. She wasn't my type. Hey! Oh! Martin's done a funny. Uh, if you want to send us a question uh, with your voice, you can do so on the phone line, the number for which is... 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this. Hello, Nolly. Answer me this. I've just been made redundant. I'm in hiding. You prepped. What should I do? Well, firstly, don't pull off an orange juice heist like Ollie Mann would do in prep. Then you have a criminal record, potentially, yeah. as well as no job. Just because you've been made redundant, that's not an excuse for crime. I presume the situation you're in is you've just been told you're going to lose your job. It's not like right. you've literally lost it just now. You've been told you're going to lose it in a month or two months or whatever. And well, we just... don't know. What I presume is that it's happened just before this call rather exactly. than they are now redundant after serving their month. Precisely. I presume she's, she's hanging out. gone to prep because it's that moment where you think, I, I don't know what to do with myself. If I stay in the office, I'm going to cry or I'm going to say something I shouldn't. So I'm going to just leave gonna and go and sort myself out. And, and have and, a baguette. And have a baguette, <laughs> um, which I can identify with because it's happened to me twice. Really? Yeah, I've been what? made redundant twice. Um, the first time was my first ever job uh, It was a department at ITV that we both worked for for a bit But the thing is, obviously because it was my first job I was only 21 years old The whole thing was a bit of an adventure yes. You know what I mean? That's how I felt about it I was like, oh, I'm getting fired, is that what this is like? And I sort <laughs> Must of did... write this down and Exactly, <laughs> it was a bit like that Looking around the people in their 30s who had mortgages and children Who were, you know, a bit devastated Crushed by Crushed by life Yeah, and I was thinking I actually can't identify with that at this stage of my life Because I'm just thinking, oh well, I'll just get another job Yeah, um, But Nonetheless, even though there were people in that office uh, who were taking the news very badly because our department was being closed down. Oh, so everyone was getting made redundant. Everyone was. Slightly different so circumstances. Slightly then. different. So in but that there was a prep quite close by. There was. Enough room for everyone. We didn't go there. We went to the pub. Uh, uh, and I think that is the thing that British people would do when they're just told that all of them are going to lose their job collectively. Yeah. All go to the pub. It was actually quite a fun evening out. Yes. The <laughs> second time was when I was a researcher at the culture show at the BBC, mm-hmm. which at the time was kind of my dream job. Loved it. And. Again, my expectation would be that I'd stay there forever. I thought I was quite good at my job. You thought you were there forever. I did. But you were wrong. And it's different because I was being told personally they didn't want to renew my contract. It wasn't everyone's fired, we're closing down the department. It was, we've looked at our budget for next year and we've chosen not to re-employ you. So that is a lot harder to deal with. Because as I say, I thought I was quite good at my job. And I suppose I could tell myself, or maybe it's because I'm slightly more expensive than the other people who do my yeah, job because yeah, I was a few years it. older. Yeah. But really, I knew that if they really liked me, they would have made a case to keep me. So I thought, okay, they've, you know, they have chosen someone else over me. It was just that, a contract. That has never happened to you before never as happened an to only before. child. Yeah. You're not used <laughs> I mean, to that. It was just a contract. My contract ended Yeah. and they didn't renew it. But like That's I say, it's slightly... an ongoing show. It's still on now. So I yeah. could have expected to still be working on it. That is a slightly softer blow I think than redundancy because 
when you know your contract's up for renewal in six months or a year, there must be a mm. part of you that's like, well, it's probable that I'll stay here, but I might not. That's true. But at least if you're being made redundant from a staff job, you get redundancy pay. Yes. Like, obviously, I was being told mm. that I'm going to lose my job and not get paid anything for that. So you couldn't go on a prep spree well, with all that sweet money. Well, actually, what I did do, which I'm not advising you to do, but mm. I did... Uh, is I, I couldn't face anyone in the office. Did you smash everything up? I just thought, I don't want to be the guy that's looking for sympathy about this, but I can't just sit at my desk and not reflect on the fact that I've just had a conversation with everyone's boss about how they're not going to renew my contract. So I, I just couldn't be in the office. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I made an excuse as to why I had to go into town. You know, I need to go and pick something up or ah. order something, whatever. And I went in town and I went on a shopping spree, <laughs> which is a really weird thing for me to do because I'm not even into shopping particularly. But I went to Liberty and I bought a camel-coloured duffel coat for £350. Wow, that was, wow. That's, that's, yeah. was, that's, a, that's an investment coat. That's incredibly stupid. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, the shopping thing, it makes sense because it's an element of control, isn't it? You've got control over the things and you, and you get to treat yourself. Yeah. I can sleep under a bridge in this coat. But you're saying I should have probably, you know, gone to Byron and got a burger rather than spent £350. Yeah, or, yeah. Got, you know, got some video games or CDs, but not, yeah. yeah. I don't know because Ollie still wears that coat. Anyway, I I mean it was a nice coat and it was it did make me feel better i mean yeah. i should have regretted it and i couldn't really afford it at the time Don't. but it, actually it did make me feel better about losing my job i thought well I, w- I won't be working for the bbc anymore but i will have a nice coat i think uh, anonymous lady who called from pratt at the risk of sounding like perez hilton here you need to own this uh, you, really? you don't need to be defined by it. You know, you have just been made redundant. You need to as martin was saying you need to take control. Get yourself a hot redundancy wardrobe. I think don't let it define you in the office. Don't let it be that everyone knows that the only thing that's interesting about you for the last few weeks is that you've been made redundant. Yeah. Talk to a few select people about it, but people you really trust. Also, be strategic. If you want to get another job in a similar field, now is the time to milk those contacts. Yes, exactly. Milk milk the contacts, get some sympathy, but don't be a sad sack. If you go around draining everyone about it, you've you've got to turn it into a positive because that's how you'll have to feel anyway if you're unemployed and looking for a job. So start thinking positive about it now. Fun employment. What am I doing next? Yeah, don't think about what you've lost. A whole world awaits you. But at the moment, you can just have as many sandwiches as you can eat. Um, Buy £350 worth of sandwiches. (laughs) In the very short term, um, I would go from Pret, maybe go to the cinema in the afternoon because when you're unemployed, that is the thing you're allowed to do. And it's a glorious mm. thing for a while. It is a brilliant thing. So that will feel like a treat as What's well as a bit of a sound. What's the best afternoon cinema treat you've ever given yourself? Oh, there are loads. Oh, really? I've got oh, an instant oh, number okay. one. I know what it is. Yeah, okay, all right. On my 30th birthday, mm. I met my friend Amy for lunch in Brixton. And uh, then I went on my own to see the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Swedish one. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> no, but I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, gosh, this is thrilling and also vile. Yeah. It was in screen five at the Ritzy, which is like having your own private cinema because it's all armchairs that recline a bit with a little table next to them and no one else is there. If the next part of this story is, I then went into the screen next door and watched another film, that's not just the best no. cinema treat ever, that's the best treat ever. I then went into town and Martin proposed. Oh, so there was a downer on the day, but still, <laughs> not bad. Yeah, the second best one is when after Guardian Media Talk, I walked, uh, I, I had a nice walk. Uh, up to the Islington Vu and I went to see Hunger Games again not knowing anything about it yeah. and because I arrived in the dark I sat in one of the deluxe seats despite my ordinary ticket yes, I do that as well but not deliberately that's, a that's steal. the difference between no, us no 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 I think that, <laughs> that is a steal it's okay to get away with because once the film has started because I, I, always, I always miss the trailers I was walking as the film starts once the film started if those seats are empty no one is losing out by you not paying for that seat I it, wouldn't it have was, paid for the seat it was pretty empty again there were about five people there so I think we were all even though we weren't going to talk to each other we were all like yeah, daytime cinema club. Yeah, I, this is cool. Yeah, it is cool, isn't it? 
Um, I, I went just a few weeks ago to see two films in the same day. Oh, lovely. A Brilliant. Double bill. So double bill mm. in the afternoon, which it was, it was mm. good. And it was two very different films as well. I went to see The Imitation Game and then Leviathan. Gosh. What's the yeah. about? It's a Russian film about bleakness. That doesn't sound mm. like your cup of tea. Yeah, it made me feel comparatively better about myself. I suppose. <laughs> but my, my best ever cinema afternoon treat uh, was when I went to see Jurassic Park at the IMAX in 3D last year. Wow. Amazing. In the afternoon. Like the fact it was in the afternoon and it reminded me of childhood was what was amazing. But- I very rarely get to do that because I've got job. Pro- proper job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was the other great thing. I was on a work day. I was, yeah. on, I was on my way into work. It was an afternoon. How much is a ticket? That'll be £17.50. So. Ah! Did I think that's outrageous? No, I thought I'm fully employed and I'm at the cinema in the afternoon. I can afford it. I'm fucking serious. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean it's not a bit of a rip. It made the it floor amazing. there's ever so sticky. It made it so amazing. And I'd forgotten so many things about Jurassic Park. Like Samuel L. Jackson is in it. Yeah, he's, good, he's got the cigarette. And, and he got- smokes in it, yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah. wouldn't happen now, would That's it? That's his character, basically. Is this, he has like an endless cigarette. Yeah. He's just clenched in his middle of his dialogue. That's true. And in Jurassic World, I bet no one smokes. No one will smoke in Jurassic World. Unless there's an evil one. Unless they're evil, yeah. It was the five obstructions. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to build a website to bring tourists to Radlit. But when I open it up on my smartphone or tablet... Something goes wrong And it just looks a bit shit Unlike Hertfordshire itself Well try building that website Using Squarespace On desktop and devices It will look simply ace As well designed as Hertfordshire With all that lovely green space County of Opportunity And Stevenage Thanks very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This And also thanks be to Squarespace For making it very possible to uh, build... A nice website. Eminently possible. They've taken doable and they've done it. They absolutely have done it, Ollie. They've done that. They've done that right. You can do it as well, listeners. You can go to squarespace.com, try out the uh, two-week free trial, and then if you like what you see, then uh, you can get 10% off Squarespace for a whole year if you use the code answer. answer. Here's a question from Anonymous from Manchester who says, I sleep naked and have done so for years since before I went to university. So over 10 years. Okay, thank you for uh, <laughs> emphasising the length of time. I really needed to know how long. So I thought, oh, eight years, not committed. Let me ten, be clear. Fine, probably since, uh, habit for life. Since boys to men were last in the charts. Over 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I have got so used to sleeping naked that I struggle to sleep with clothes on, for example, when I'm staying over at a friend's, etc. It's interesting that you do make that decision you know that it's going to be seen as a bit kooky or a bit distasteful to be naked in bed when someone might walk in and see you well just it feels a bit wrong when you're on away territory but theoretically at any point someone might walk in and see you wherever you are when you're in a hotel being burgled yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) have some respect for the thieving things during this time of sleeping naked i have got married over 10 years over 10 years since grand theft auto 3 over 10 years During that time, mm. since Jamelia's superstar was a big hit, <laughs> yeah. my wife has always been fine with it. We now have three kids. My three-year-old son has got to an age where he gets up out of bed on his own in the morning, sometimes oh. before anyone else is up, yeah. and he comes into our room to wake us up, to join us in our bed, or he wants to go to the toilet. I see the issue. I see where this is going. For obvious reasons, I always find it uncomfortable lying naked in bed when he jumps into bed with us, or if I have to get up, I have to move the covers so he doesn't see anything. Yeah, but actually, being At haunted age, by an image of my father's penis was one yeah. of my first memories, sharing yes. a bath with him. It's a formative memory for everyone. When you're three, it's just normal, because you don't have that kind of body shame, Yeah, I think. Well, it's just curious, isn't it? Yeah. If you didn't see it then, you'd want to see it when you're older, and that's weirder. 
Yeah, I definitely would not want to see that now. (laughs) I was shocked to see my dad's calves three years ago. It had been so long. Uh, My son is obviously getting older. Yeah, that's how time works, isn't it? Yeah. Over 10 years. None of that Benjamin Button shit. Yeah. Uh, It's obviously going to make things more uncomfortable, but I have two younger children who will probably go through similar phases as they grow up. Mm. I really do struggle to sleep with clothes on. Really? Yes. Really? I really do struggle, Ollie. Okay. Why must you question me all the time? I really <laughs> bloody struggle. I thought about Googling it, but the words sleeping naked in children would automatically send Interpol and MI5 round to my house. So, Ollie, answer me this. What should I do? Sleep okay. with an apron on, because then you're free and easy, but you're covered at emergency times. That's obviously ludicrous, Helen. I think what he should do uh, is work his way up. Uh, from, I mean, perhaps start very small, like a feather or some kind of sheath, uh, but then work upwards to pyjama shorts. I think mm-hmm. the thing is, what he's thinking is, oh, I can't sleep with clothes on. He's thinking he's got to wear a t-shirt and long bottoms or some kind of all-in-one or a something. tie. Yeah, full-on pyjamas. You don't. Hat. All you need is flappy pyjama shorts. That's it. No. They're I- airy. They're not too snug. I get claustrophobic in bed. I get hot as well. You feel more or less like you're naked, but crucially, you're not showing anyone your penis. I think I have got something which is easier for him to bear because it does not involve having elastication around his waist it doesn't involve having seams between his legs which if he's so free and easy he might be sensitive to it is an old-fashioned nightshirt and they do sell them because my brother wears them he's got some very fun stripy numbers but there you see it's pretty loose and billowy so it's just like sleeping wrapped in a sheet but yeah, no i'd find that a bit hot well, you don't have to wear one that is made out of brocade. When it goes all the way down to, like, your knees. Yeah, but when you're in bed, it's just going to rock up. But when your child gets into the bed, you yes. can drag it down your body sharpish. Here's another question about garments from Peter from Sheerness, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Do women really throw knickers at you? At me, yes, <laughs> they do. Sometimes I see people, they're clearly listening to the show whilst they're on the tube, and I'll be going up the up escalator, they'll be going down the down escalator, and they'll just what? whip their pants off and throw them at me. Tell you what, if you, if you need some pants for free, just go on Charing Cross Road at 4am when Ollie's getting off air, and there's just a pile <laughs> under the window, isn't there? Um, no, uh, he means... Do people really throw knickers onto the stage at Tom Jones and Rod Stewart and others at gigs? Or is it just a myth? Oh, no, it definitely happens. I mean, it's all over YouTube. But knickers are not very aerodynamic. Do they put them on a paper aeroplane or anything? Um, traditionally, what they do is sort of uh, lasso them around their head multiple times before letting go. Yeah, but you've still got to be close to the front, haven't you? You have, yeah. Mm. I think it's fair to say someone who is going to throw their moistened knickers at a pop star is probably enough of a fan to be in the first third of the audience. Well, they hate them so much they shouldn't be at that gig anyway. Martin was frowning. Had you always imagined the knickers to be clean? I think it's 50-50. You might buy them on the way there from an M&S in a station. I mean, realistically, I think Tom Jones nowadays, yes, the audience are going to be bringing uh, fresh knickers, but I think back in the day. Well, I was just thinking about, I mean, hey, the dream is like for them to be moistened by bisexual arousal, mm. and that's the gesture. It's not the knickers are inherently sexy, it's the, the, the musk, but like a big pile of like competing musk. Fuck! It just, it just doesn't have the same appeal. This is why bras are probably better, because they're likely to smell less. Mm. You probably get a better lasso action. Mm. And um, and you could give it to someone else. Exactly. If it was a nice one, you could give it as a present to your girlfriend, couldn't you, if you were Tom Jones? Whereas the knickers, knickers you wouldn't mm. give someone a second-hand knickers. What happens to Tom Jones's knickers? Do they get just swept off stage into some sort of big bin and burnt? I wonder whether it's like the royal family's gifts. They get redistributed to the needy. Because you could wash them. I mean, how, how many people in an average Tom Jones gig? 10,000, 20,000? I, I went to see Tom Jones uh, at Cheltenham Racecourse. Um, yeah. about a year and a half ago he was excellent by the way still got it great voice still mm. able to jump all the jumps um, 
Yeah, that's an example if of what I, it sounds like when a man you. does a bad Tom Jones impression. Oh, oh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and how I much w- knicker throwing was there? I would say two pairs in the whole event. Really? Um, yeah. So that, it's not what... enough to have a permanent knicker monitor on charge. Anyway, Tom Jones is kind of annoyed now about the whole knicker thing. Why? He doesn't like it anymore because he's trying to do like serious kind of country and gospel <laughs> albums and, he and gets, he's in his 70s. Do the support act get any as well? Quite possibly. They get socks, I think. <laughs> Peter adds, if this does happen, why do they do it? Surely it's a combination of wanting to show your appreciation for the act, A, and B, in the sort of sordid days of rock and roll, signalling your availability for groupy sex. Oh. And C, getting a bit of air up there. Uh, no, I think just B, basically. <laughs> oh, really? Um, oh. It, Did you write your address on the back of the knickers or anything? Well, it's, it's really? a tradition, if you can call it that, that evolves out of Las Vegas, where until quite recently, Tom Jones played for a week every month uh, for like 40 years. Wow. What happened to make him stop? Oh, it's an old man. So? Um, just doesn't need it anymore, does he? You have to remember that Tom Jones started playing Vegas. He was playing Caesar's Palace back in the days when Elvis was a resident at, at, at Vegas as well. Tom Jones has had and, quite the life, hasn't and, he? And they were mates, as Tom Jones says, in literally every interview he ever gives. Well, Elvis is not around to refute that, is he? <laughs> exactly right, yeah. <laughs> me and Elvis, we used to enjoy a kebab together. Oh, Tom Jones was always <laughs> bothering me. Ah, he was always asking me to go and play mini golf with him. The thing is, Elvis, obviously credited with being the first sort of rock and roll star to make young women in the audience wet themselves well like faint and scream and throw things like lipstick and things like that at oh, okay. they discovered their pelvises thanks to Elvis indeed but the thing with Elvis is he always has that kind of um, undercurrent of like he's a good southern Christian boy so you wouldn't actually throw erotic paraphernalia at him. Mm. So what would then, you throw? Crucifixes then or well, something? Well, no, you just, you'd, you'd just scream and like faint and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like kids do now for One Direction. That's what happened with Elvis, right? But Tom yeah. Jones was overtly sexualised. Like his songs were about let's have sex, number one. Mm-hmm. So is Rod Stewart, by the way. You know, if you want my body and you think I'm sexy, etc. Number two, they're British. So it immediately has an ironic sense to it as well. Yeah. They're more um, likely to be M&S knickers than sexy knickers. Well, yes, although in Vegas, it's the same crowd that would have gone and seen Elvis that went to see Tom Jones. And Tom Jones, apparently, he says, was sleeping with 250 groupies a year at his height. Um, so uh, there was a genuine sense of, here's my hotel key, come right. back to my room. Uh, and that evolved into knickers. And I think the reason it stayed How? Because that's a different exchange. He's giving them his hotel key rather than them giving him No, no, knickers. they used to throw their hotel keys at the stage. Well, that might hit him in the eye. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was pre-plastic cards. I don't know when Vegas got those. But anyway, point being, it evol- he was there for a long time and yeah. it evolved get, into a thing. They demagnetised if there's a big pile of them. It was known that Tom Jones used to sleep with groupies. Yeah. Groupies went to see him. They could go one step further with him than they could with Elvis. They wanted to show that they were not only um, a fan of... Because it's normal, isn't it, to like... Like nowadays, people will throw like a big inflatable from the audience up towards Justin Timberlake or whatever. Yeah. And it's just that sense that he's touched something belonging to you is what they want. Whereas obviously if you're throwing that, it's quite an intimate connection. Um, and I, basically, the very first time it happened, apparently, he picked it off the stage and mopped his brow with it uh, and made a joke out of it. And mm. he said in interviews since that that's what he regrets doing 45 years ago because now every time it happens, he has to play along with it. But actually inside, he's like, fuck you, I'm singing a gospel song. But now that he's a bit older... he <laughs> could Song's just... about Jesus! <laughs> now that he's a bit older, though, he could just pretend that he hadn't seen the knickers because his eyesight's going. Yeah, I suppose he could, yeah. This one, like, hits him in the face. But I think, in a way, it's good that it's one of the things people say about Tom Jones. Because if I was him, I'd rather it was that than either that I look like a cream egg that someone's drawn a face on it or that I'm on a shit TV show. Hmm. I'd rather 
people talked about knickers. I reckon this might go back a lot further, though, than Elvis, because you have the precedent of people pelting bad acts with fruit. Mm, true. And little stones and stuff like that. So maybe to show praise, they would pelt you with nice fruit that wasn't rotten. Yes. Nice stones. I see what you mean. I think, though, in the modern concert-going experience, there's a lot of stuff that isn't traceable back to anything beyond rock and roll. So, for example, holding your lighter in the air, now your mobile phone. That is something that's only been around since probably the 70s. No! What about all the flaming torches and stuff? When well, people were... <laughs> I mean, the clown the colours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. the, the fool used to ask people regularly in King Lear, we're going to do hey nonny nonny everyone, lighters in the air, the wind and the rain. <laughs> and with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Answer Me This, but please supply your questions for the next episode by emailing, phoning or Skyping, and our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where you'll also find links to our Twitter and our Facebook pages and also the answer me this store where you can buy our first 170 episodes albums apps and donate to the show yeah and uh, it just remains for us to say thank you very much to squarespace for sponsoring this episode yes thank you squarespace also listeners if you haven't yet tried my new podcast the allusionist now is a good time to begin especially if you're that listener who wrote in years ago to say how much you enjoyed hearing me say the word cunt because the most recent episode of the allusionist is all about that word cunt or if you're insomniac you can listen to Ollie in the night on the radio. There's basically a lot of stuff you can put in your ears. Bye! Bye.